for sure. But uh, this really isn't dealing with anything that's soft and squishy. It's dealing with something that is very deep, very rich, very comforting to know that not only that God is love, but because God is love, He loves us and, and the depth and the heights and, and the, the width of what that means for us. Um, I think oftentimes we do ourselves an injustice by not thinking about the love that the Lord has for us. We often lose His love when we think about all the many other attributes that, that He certainly has and the way in which He's revealed Himself. But God is not more of this and less of that or more of that and less of this. God is what God is. So God is never less holy to be more loving. He is holiness. He is love. He is light. And our little finite brains can't fully understand or wrap our minds around how He can be all of these things all the time, all at once, no more and no less. Because you and I can't go a day where we're not more this and less of that, where we're more angry or less happy or vice versa. All these things. But let's read verses 7 and 12 this morning. We're going to jump into the end of verse 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Here in His love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and His love is perfected in us. Now to help us a little bit, we had dealt with verses 7 in the first part of, of verse 8. Let us love one another. This is not anything new that John is talking about. He's already addressed this earlier on. This has been sort of a, a theme and a premise for uh, an assurance of salvation, but as well as an apologetic of our salvation that we are called to love one another, especially in the midst of a world that John is living in, where Gnosticism is running rampant. Countless people who claim to know Jesus have left the faith and they are now called Antichrist. Uh, they have gone the way of the Antichrist spirit that is already dwelling, he says uh, earlier on in the chapter in verse 3. And this is that spirit of Antichrist whereof you have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. We've been talking about how the spirit of Antichrist has been running rampant already, truly from, from the, the time where we find the very first sin in the world to the time we find the Antichrist to come later on down the road. Now what we see, though, is as he's addressing and dealing with this, he draws them back not to anything new, not to a new knowledge, not to a new understanding of things, because really that's what the Gnostics were doing anyways. They wanted a higher learning, a higher knowledge, a, a new revelation, a new knowledge that no one else could have except for them. But what John does is he draws us back to what Jesus has already taught. That John had, had heard this from the Lord himself to love one another. And we've talked about the difficulty of this. We've talked about the necessity of this. He says, let us love one another. And he says, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. Because love is from God, those that love God have truly experienced the love of God. We can now understand what love is, but even to a, a, a human level. And now it is not just us that we're saved to then love God, but as well to express it to one another. No man can say that he loves God and hate his brother. John's already talked about this earlier on. We see the need of this, not just in John's day, but especially in our own day. We're coming into a world that is not just 
post 9-11, but now we're post-COVID and everything had been shut down for a long time. People are leery of each other. People are fearful of each other. People are divided amongst each other because of the political issues, different views about uh, the virus, different views about church, different views about color of carpet and the whole nine yards, right? People haven't changed a whole lot, but we're even more divided perhaps now than ever before. And as a church, as believers, as a local body of Christ, we must return to understand that love is of God. And if we are going to claim that we are of God and for God, and we must love one another. And then he says, he that loveth not knoweth not God. Right? We talked about that. That is the sort of the, the negative side of this. If you have a true love for God and have a true love for people, well, that is evidence of your salvation. However, if there's not a real love for God, let alone a real love for people, and you can tell the real from the fake. And, and if, if there's anything that the lost world is able to do, if there's anything that younger generations are able to do, is they can tell a lot real from the fake as far as what they see in churches. Sadly, what we have done in our churches for decade after decade is we've become desensitized to falseness and hypocrisy and a false humility and all these different things, a false love. And, and, and we've gotten to where we're just not very real. We should be the realest people that there are. We should be authentic in our walk with Jesus. We should be real in our love for God and for one another. And then now here we get to, to where, we're, where we're kicking off today. For God is love. For God is love. How deep is God's love? How wide? How high? It, we could go deeper and deeper and deeper into to thinking about the love of God and we would never reach the bottom. We could climb the highest mountains and never reach the heights of His love. We could go into the cosmos of the, the galaxies that go light years and light years away and never reach the beginning or the end of the, the love of, of God. This is who He is. John has already talked about earlier on in uh, chapter 1 that God is light. But we also find in here that God is love. And the light and the love we have talked about go hand in hand. They go together uh, as He expresses Himself uh, it, it, to us in this light, as He lives in the light, as His people are to live in the light. As He is love, His people are then to live in love. Lloyd-Jones writes, All I know is that God, in the very essence of His nature and being, is love. And you cannot think of God and must not think of Him except in terms of love. Everything that God is and does is colored by this. All God's actions have this aspect of love in them and the aspect of light in the same way. That is how God always manifests Himself, light and love. Now we do have an issue today though. We have a misunderstanding of what love is and we have a misunderstanding about God is love. How many of you have ever heard someone say, well, I'm not going to go to hell because God is love and He's going to overlook my sin. Anybody ever heard that before, right? We hear these things because there's one, a misunderstanding of God, and two, a misunderstanding of God's love. God, we have folks on this extreme here that say because God is love, He will never send anybody to hell. There will never be any eternal punishment for sin. He could never do such a thing. In His love, He'll overlook all the sins that anybody has ever done, right? That's baloney, right? Then on this side, there are those who unfortunately say God is love, but His love is only towards the people that do exactly what He says. Well, the Bible still does tell us that God so loved the world 
that he gave his only begotten son, whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. There is this balance of understanding that God's love certainly is understood and even given to a degree that us as believers, we understand it in a whole lot better form, don't we? Why? Because we're born of God. We have been born again. We understand his love like the lost world does not. Like the lost world cannot. The lost world cannot comprehend his love. You and I can't comprehend it in a sense where we can never talk about it enough. We can never go to the heights of the depths of it. We can never reach or attain to find all that it is and bottle it all up. But we can understand and to know his love. We know his love through Christ. We also know that according to Scripture, because God is love, though there is this beautiful balance that though God is love and though God is uh, a just and a holy God is going to punish sins, but in Christ, there is now nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Sadly, though, there's many well-meaning, Bible-believing Baptists who separate themselves to a degree from God's love, and they say, well, I've messed up too many times. God can't love me. Or maybe God loves me less because bad things happen to me in my life, right? I keep getting gout, or I haven't won the, the lottery, or whatever it is, right? You know, all these different ailments and things in life, we say, well, God must not love me as much as He loves so-and-so. We cannot measure the love of God by looking at someone who has a big old house and a brand new Chevy pickup versus someone who's got a double-wide trailer that's run down and, uh, and an old Chevy truck, right? You're right, rusty, right? Goodness. They're at least going to do that. Even that new one's going to rust at some point, right? But we think about this. We cannot look at the outward world and say, well, that's the measure of God's love on people, right? No, it's not. The, the measure of God's love is something that we can't fully measure. It's something that you and I cannot fully measure, let alone on human terms. But if you want to know the measure of God's love, it's not going to be found in anything that we can see. It's not going to be found in anything that we can touch. It's not going to be in anything even on this earth right now. If we find love measured, it is found at Calvary. It's found in that Jesus, God in the flesh, would die for us. If you want to find the, the measurement of God's love. It's that He would give His life for people that would spit upon Him, that would curse Him, that would ridicule him, that would reject him. It's that he would love his people Israel though they hated him and though they would love him and do good and would obey him and then they'd get around uh, you know, wicked people and they'd start doing wicked things and they'd start worshiping false gods and yet in his love he would draw them back continuously through taking them to the woodshed, through these different trials of their life. And even with the church today, what God does is he has shown us his love and even though there is no perfect church, there's no perfect pastor, there's no perfect congregation, there's no perfect Christian, that God's love is still being poured out upon us. That's what God's love does. Your, you and I, our love, we would have stopped loving Israel at some point. We would have stopped loving the church at some point. We definitely stopped loving pastors. We definitely stopped loving people because that's what we do. Because our love is not the same love that God has. This is the very essence of who He is. It is a part of Him. And so, for him, when we talk about the love of God and how love should be unconditional, how it should be sacrifice and action, there is no one and nothing that can express it quite like saying that God is love. These three simple little words that make one small little sentence that God is love, one little truth, is so simple yet incredibly so profound that you and I should never, ever get to the place where we graduate and say, yeah, well, God loves me, yeah. When we understand that God is love and He loves me, it should bring our hearts comfort and joy 
as he had talked about in chapter 3, if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. And if your heart condemns you, go and look at Calvary. Go and look at the cross. Go and look at the fact that God is love. And because that's who he is, he has never changed. He's never loved you more. He's never loved you less. And there's nothing that you and I will ever do to make him love you more or make him love you less. This is who he is. Now, in this, uh, we find the expression of God's love in, in verse number nine. In this was manifested. I like that word manifest. It is completely demonstrated, given, revealed that it was manifested, the love of God toward us. Right? This is to us. It is not that there was any other being out in the, out in the, the worlds or, or in the galaxies that he had to go and express his love to aliens. I, I don't see that in Scripture. There might be. I don't know. You might be an alien. I don't know. Right? But I, I do know this. You and I have seen his love manifest given towards us. Anybody who is married or has a loving relationship with anybody, for that matter, whether it's your sibling, spouse, kid, right, whatever it might be, you can say, I love you an awful lot, can't you? Right? And saying I love you is nice, right? It sounds nice, right? Now, you can say it in different ways, and it sometimes sounds nicer, right? You can say, I love you, or you can say, I love you, right? Kind of a different ring to it, don't we? But then there's another way of love here. If your spouse only said I love you, but there was never a manifestation in the sense of a revealing of that love of I love you, and I did the dishes. You're welcome, baby, right? Or I love you because of, right, or I love you in this way, right, here's a, here's a, a, a hug and a kiss, right, or, or here's, a, here's a dollar, thanks for being a, <laughs> I don't know, right, you think about this, love must be shown, God does not just open up the heavens and go, I love you, right, how has he done it, he's done it in a much greater way, by manifesting, he says, because that God sent his only begotten son into the world, that we might live through Him. Is there ever been a, a greater expression of showing the love of God than the giving of Himself? That's what love is. It is a giving of oneself with expecting nothing in return. It, did God give Christ, His only begotten Son, to the world because He expected the world could then give Him anything? Did God need anything? Was God ever in need? No. There's never been a time in eternity past or eternity future where God has ever been in need or lacking or in want. I've heard people say, uh, you know, they try to answer the reason why God created the world is because he was lonely. He was never lonely. He's never been lonely. He's not going to be lonely, right? Long before we have let there be light, God is having perfect uh, fellowship within the, the, the triune head of, of God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. He's not in need of anybody or anything. But his love expresses himself by creating, and, and even more so by creating us to be made in his image and his likeness, to then reflect who he is. And as new believers, as new creations in Christ Jesus, we are even more so to reflect who he is. So if God is love, therefore we should be as well. But we see that his love is manifested toward us here. Now this is interesting. Uh, Stott writes, the coming of Christ is therefore a concrete historical revelation of God's love for love, agape, is self-sacrifice, the seeking of another's positive good at one's own cost and a greater self-giving 
than God's gift of His Son there has ever been, nor could be. There is nothing greater. All the blessings that God has given to you, there is nothing more blessed, there is no greater gift than that of Jesus. He is not just the giver of gifts, but He is the gift Himself. This is what we talk about with heaven. He is not just the rewarder, but He is the reward. And so we look at this, this His love being completely unconditional, completely self-sacrificing. He has nothing to gain. Uh, nothing to gain from us. But yet He goes into this world anyways. Barclay writes, God's love is demonstrated in Jesus Christ. Verse 9, when we look at Jesus, we see two things about the love of God. A, it is a love which holds nothing back. In His love for men and women, God was prepared to give His only Son and make a sacrifice beyond which no sacrifice can possibly go. B, it is a totally undeserved love. It would be no wonder if we loved God when we remember all the gifts He has given to us, even apart from Jesus Christ. The wonder is that He loves poor and disobedient creatures like us. If we want to see the love of God, we must look to Jesus. This is He is the revealer of the things that were left in mystery. Jesus is the one that brings to light the things that were left in darkness. Jesus is the one that makes the invisible visible. Jesus is the one that takes all that God is and even as marvelous and yet terrifying that Mount Sinai must have been when God consumed it with His presence, there is still yet something greater than that. And it is the very presence of God tabernacling, dwelling in the flesh amongst these same sinners who He would come to die for, the same ones that He had created. I want to look for just a moment over in Romans, Romans 5. Just to look at this. If we want to see the love of God, Romans 5 tells us this. Um, in verse number 6, For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die, but God committed His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Here we find exactly what this love is that He's talking about. Here exactly we find that, that manifest love of God in Christ Jesus. I love verse 7. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Right? Think about this. If you've got a, a son, let alone a, an only son here that we're talking about, and there's somebody that hates your guts, are you going to sacrifice your son so that that person, right? No, right? Marty's seeing head shake. No way! It's not happening, not in our human flesh. We're not going to give up the one that we love more than anything for those that have been against us, those that hate us, those that are rebellious, those that want us uh, to have harm done to us. We've got to understand, he comes into the world that he created that should have accepted Him, came into His own, and His own received Him not. He came to the people that should have known who He was, and yet still they have no idea who He is, and even more so than that, they, they despise who He is. They are rebellious in their hearts, in their lives, in their attitudes. And then the verse continues, yet peradventure, uh, peradventure for a good man, someone even dared die. Now how about would you then sacrifice your son for somebody that loves you, that is good to you, that's nice to you? Still not thinking about that, are we? Why? Now, we look at this. Where's, has there ever been anybody righteous in the world except for Jesus? None. None righteous. No, not one. Uh, even in all of our righteousnesses, as, as filthy rags, as good on the outside as the Pharisees seemed to be, they were, 
They were like my coffee mug. They looked good on the outside, but the inside is gross, nasty, disgusting, right? Full of dead men's bones. That's what I'm drinking every morning. That's what keeps me going. Right? But this, just this filth of sin. Because yet peradventure for a good man, someone even dared die. But God commendeth His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus did not die for the righteous. He did not die for the godly. He, did, he died for sinners. And so when we look about uh, and we, we talk about the love of God and how He says in verse 9 of 1 John 4 that it has been manifest to us because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. We see the great cost. We see the great sacrifice. We see that He does this for people that are unloving towards Him, that are undeserving of His love, but that's what real love does. Love doesn't love because someone or something is going to give something in return or love back. Love loves even despite someone being unlovable. God's love loves us, the unlovable creatures who despise and reject all that He is, who are rebels in our heart, and it is His love and His goodness that then draws us to repentance. The cross shows us God's commitment not only to love, but as well to save sinners. This is more commitment than you and I could, could ever even, even fathom. I mean, this is more than, than seeing some sort of hero story on local news that somebody jumps in front of a car to, to save a, a kid, right? I mean, that's heroic. That, that's big time stuff that we're talking. But this is to die for people that don't even love back, let alone want or desire. We often think that Jesus just died for those who He had already healed and already wanted to follow Him, but Jesus died as well for those same ones that cried out, crucify, crucify. Jesus died for the same ones that, that beat Him and pulled out His beard and had driven in the nails. Jesus died for sinners. That's what God's love does. It shows this. Jesus' manifestation Jesus, excuse me, is the manifestation of the person, plan, and purpose of the love of God. Now, this is, this is something that we want to look back at John chapter 1 here for a moment. Right? Jesus is God in the flesh. We look at John chapter 1, uh, verse number 10 says, He was in the world, and the world was made by Him, and the world knew Him not. He came into His own, and His own received Him not. But... As many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only, of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Then just over a page or so, to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verse 16 down through 21. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. The world, did, the world needed a Savior, and they deserved condemnation, but what does God do? He sends Jesus to be, as John goes on in 1 John, to be the propitiation for our sins, to, to save us, to bring us from death to life so that we might live through Him and, and for Him. He that believeth on Him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that light is come into the world, and men love darkness 
rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. Jesus reveals the mystery of God. Jesus is revealing the God who is the God of light and the God of love. The God who is light. The God who is love. And it is found in Jesus Christ. Now, His love for us then allows us then to love Him and to love, to love one another. And as we go back to 1 John 4, verse number 9, He does so, He says, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that, way, that we might live through Him. There is no life outside of Jesus. There is no light outside of Christ. There is no love outside of Christ. There is nothing that we could possibly ever have outside of Jesus. It is not only physically true in the sense that He is the one that is created and sustains all things and holds all things together, but spiritually too, it is He who um, saves us who is the one who is the sanctifier, right? We often think this, that, that God saves us and then just leaves us alone to try to do good on our own and that we might get better and better and better, more, more Christ-like. Even after my salvation, it is Christ through me, in me. Without the Holy Spirit of God, I would still be nothing. I would still be as little as sanctified as I was the first day that I was ever saved, right? And look at me now. All this sanctification, right? just a big old pile of it. Right? I, I'd love to be as sanctified as, as I should be. But think about this. His love allows us to love Him. And now we come and that we might live through Him. Our life from start to finish is through and for Christ. That we might live through Him. Cruz writes, life involves knowing or having Jesus Christ Himself for life is all tied up in Him. Hence the author's statement that God's purpose in sending His one and only Son into the world was that we might live through Him. However, the possibility that people might live through Him by knowing or having Jesus Christ depended on much more than a revelation of God's love in sending His Son into the world. We look at this. It is that we are now able to live through Him. So how can I love? How can I love you? How can you love me? It is through knowing having, experiencing, clinging to, trusting in the very love of God. It is His love that will produce our love for Him and our love for others. And if there is no love for Him and there is no love for others, then we do not have or understand or have not experienced the love of Christ that is found uh, through, through being born again. Now, our life, my life, is totally dependent upon God's love for me. However, God's love is not dependent upon my life. Right? God is going to love me and has loved me long before I loved Him and He will love me on my days that I love Him and that I do good and He loves me on the days that I'm the worst Christian in the room. Which is probably more days than what you'd like to think. But God's love is never dependent. Never ever dependent upon me. It is who He is. My eternal life is dependent upon His eternal love. And it is His eternal love that He has given that we get to experience Him 
throughout eternity. We get to experience not just the eternal life that is in Him, but to one day be in the presence of God is to be in the presence of light and love itself. Now, I can't quite grasp all that that means. Right? When we walked in here this morning, this room was dark. We ain't got new windows in the sanctuary, right? Except for a little bit of light that was coming through those back windows from the outside, outside, right? When we cut these lights on, we go, oh, now we can see. But even this is not light itself, is it? Right? These lamps are nice. These light bulbs are nice. Praise God for electricity and indoor plumbing. Amen, right? We thank God for that, right? Praise the Lord. We just even put electricity and lights down in our pavilion. But guess what? We could turn all the lights on and we could even add some more lights in the sanctuary and make this thing even more bright where we've got to wear sunglasses in here. But guess what? Even that still does not get to the very essence of who God is as light itself. Nor, if you and I came in here every single day, we held the door open for each other, we laughed, we loved, we, we gave to each other, we sacrificed for each other, even that and the great experience that we might have every Sunday that we come in here and fellowship with one another, still cannot compare to the eternal love that God is and that we will experience one day when we see Him face to face. So this morning as we wrap up this section, I want us to understand that our life, both physical and spiritual, is rooted in the love of God. We notice this, right? The fruit of the Spirit is... What's the first one? Okay, not everybody all at once. All right, (laughs) is love, love. Now, granted, we can make the argument that all the rest are the same fruits, but we see where this starts. Our Christian life, our Christian walk, begins with love. Our salvation is the love of God towards us. Our sanctification is His continued love, even though we mess up, and that now because of the love that we had at salvation, we can now love Him, and that He still loves us even on the days that we don't love Him like we should, and then to one day be able to be glorified before Him and to see Him as He is, as light and love. This should encourage our hearts, but should as well convict us to make sure that we are living in the light and in the love that is in Christ. And that we don't mistake or live some sort of false light or some sort of false love. And that we understand that all of our life the fact that I'm breathing right now, the fact that I'm saved right now and I'm not in hell like I deserve, it's not because of me. It's not because I love Him. It's because He loved, loves, and will continue to love me. Praise the Lord for the love of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for this time. God, that we're able to, to look and study something so simple yet so so deep that we'll never reach the the bottom of it, God. But we're grateful that You love us. Lord, we have nothing that should make You love us, but Lord, You love us anyways. God, I pray that we would become more understanding of Your love for us, that we might love You more each day, that we might love one another uh, as Christ loved the church. God, I pray that today that it would be Your love that would draw us unto You. And Lord, that as we're preparing our hearts for this worship service and for this time, as we're setting aside the next few nights, Lord, to, to come and to sing, to worship You, to fellowship with one another, to hear preaching, Lord, that our hearts and our minds would be stirred through the power of Your Spirit, through the power of the preaching of Your Word. God, I pray that You would prepare us now for the great things to come and that You would accomplish what You set forth. We love You and we thank You in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well.
There's the guy that invented this phrase for me. Let's take a pause for the calls.